Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Many, many years ago, I went to my VP and I asked him, Rajiv, I don't know, shall I do A or B? And he told me, if it was your own money and your own company, which, which decision you would have made? I said, I will do A. He says, then you know the answer. You don't need to come and ask me, right? Put your founder hat on and tell me what decision we should be making. Shall we do A or shall we do B? That is the ultimate sense of ownership. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. In this episode, we're joined by Shadi Rastami, SVP of Engineering at Amplitude, and we get into the key strategies and insights all about how to increase your engineering org's capacity to win in an economic downturn. We talk about product-led growth strategies that you can focus on during an economic downturn, cultivating a founder's mindset to increase product ownership in engineering, prioritization strategies to help you determine where to invest resources, and shifting your team's perspective from skepticism to optimism. Let me introduce you to Shadi. Prior to Amplitude, Shadi was VP of Engineering at Palo Alto Networks. She has innovated and delivered several product lines and services, specializing in distributed systems, cloud computing, big data, machine learning, and security. Enjoy our conversation with Shadi Rastami. Shadi, first off, just wanted to say welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, Patrick. Thank you so much for taking the time and chat with me. I'm very excited to be part of your podcast. I'm in a very good spirit today. I'm glad I get to catch you uh, at this time of, of high spirits. To set up our conversation, I know that the high-level topic that we really wanted to explore centers sort of around product development. And I would love to cover a couple different perspectives that may be helpful in terms of product development and navigating more of an economic downturn. The first one I'd love to explore a little bit is this idea of engineering's purpose is to help the company win or increase capacity to win. What does this mean to you? And I was wondering if you could introduce us to a story or example to help us understand what this has looked like in your world. That's one of my favorite quotes is that our goal as engineers is help companies win or increase the capacity to win. For example, I have a data team. A data team is helping us to answer questions, help companies make data-driven decisions and so on, which is very important. One way to do that is to have an amazing army of data scientists who come and people ask them questions, they give the answer, which is great. You get the company rolling, they make decisions based on data. But at some point, you're going to hit the capacity of your data scientists. How many data scientists can I hire? And as people, they, they use data more, they, they ask more questions and they want to basically gain more insight. So one way of thinking about how do I increase our capacity to win is that instead of just always being the center of answering questions, can I 
build the infrastructure for the company? Can I have the data engineer to move the data around in a system so that now the rest of the organization can actually self-serve, ask a question themselves without my data science to be in the middle of that and answering that question? That basically makes me from being a center of decision-making or my team being the center of decision-making to be the facilitator, help the companies actually. And that increases our capacity to win because now they're not limited by what my team is doing. So that's a very typical example of that. Another example is, I think, something that is top of mind for everybody and it's product-led growth. Everybody's talking about that. Because especially in downturn, I'm sure everybody's thinking about that, that I have a limited amount of money. Where shall I invest? Shall I invest in marketing, in sales, or in product? Of course, I'm biased. I say I always invest in product. But the reality is that even taking my bias aside is that if you invest in the product and if your product is growing, you can have a much higher rate of investment rather than you know investing in necessarily just sales and basically focusing on conversion on your sales effort or SDR effort. So these are the examples of if you're thinking about investing in product, okay, how can I make sure our customers are activating faster? How can I make sure customers get to the aha moment faster? How can I make sure they gain more insight so they can come back and basically not only we retain them, but we can grow and basically show more value to them. So these are simple examples of engineering or product thinking about our goal is about basically winning and increasing uh, our capacity to win. So I wanted to dive in a little bit more to how product-led growth sort of shows up in how you help within an engineering context, like support the product-led growth strategy. It's very important that as you're thinking about product-led growth, you want to make sure that your customers have delight moment. You want to understand when is the drop-off, what happens some customers that are sticking around, what happens some, when some customers are trying new features. So first of all, understanding these important points in the product. And then as we are building software, thinking about setting goals. Okay, so for example, one of the important things about Amplitude to be successful, because we believe that Product analytics is a team sport. It's our customers who can basically share their insight with each other. So collaboration is an important part of Amplitude, and it can help if customers get to the masses within the organization who are collaborating and building upon each other. They can be very successful, and they can you know, gain the value and gain even more aspects of our product. So we define that, okay, collaboration is very important. So let's define a metric. How do you measure collaboration? It's a number of users who are sharing a chart, for example, that they create this chart and sharing. So now we set that goal. Okay, my goal is to increase that metric from X to Y in this quarter, for example. And then you go and you you make some bets. Not all of them are going to pan out. Not all of them are going to really move the needle. But when they do, you know, that's perfect. When they don't, you go back to the drawing board. What did we learn from that bet? What? Why didn't it move? What are the ch- challenges? And now let's go back and revisit and figure out another path that we can be going and capture that. But I think the most important thing is that having these goals, setting these goals that are basically intentionally, that's what you're trying to move and then going and trying to tackle them, improving them one way or another. I think it's been really interesting to see sort of how how you're able to intentionally build in these like product and engineering principles or maxims and how they show up and really alter the decisions you make about what you choose to build and how you choose to to build it. I think especially right now, I'd, I'd love to start to explore a little bit about this idea of increasing capacity to win in the context of an economic downturn. And 
to understand what changes does anything change or, or what changes. And so I was wondering, could you share a little bit more about like, when you think about the environment that many of us are operating in right now, what changes when it comes to thinking about increasing the capacity to win for the company? When there's a lot of resources available, you always have to prioritize, but maybe prioritization doesn't become as big of a deal. When you have limited resources, you can't, you can't do a lot of things. So it's very, very important that you define, okay, what is it that you're going to prioritize? What is it that you're going to say yes? And what is it that you're going to say no to? I think that is very critical. And, and sometimes it's a very, very hard decision to make that, okay, no, I'm not going to invest on that. I'm going to go and invest in something that is important. For example, I can share you an example of Amplitude. You know, last year, we said that, you know, we have done a lot of feature development. We have multiple products. But, you know, as we were looking at our strategy, you know, and said, now we need to double down on our core. We need to go back to the core, look at some of these features that we have developed, and maybe they were not being adopted as much. So let's, let's focus on usability of that. Let's go, instead of adding more features or, you know, adding more product lines, let's focus on the one that we've already feel like it's very, very valuable, but not a lot of our customers are using. Why are they not using that? Maybe there's a usability issue. Maybe there's a discoverability issue. Let's focus on those and solve those rather than focusing on some of these other products or other features. So that's basically a prioritization question. And actually, it becomes even more important during the downturn. You're not growing so fast and you don't have a, so many people. So you have to really focus which area you want to, you want to invest in. Absolutely. I feel like so many people are feeling that pressure of prioritization, trying to make the right decisions, the finiteness of resources. What does that prioritization conversation look like for you and the different members of the team? Like, how do you facilitate that? I guess, how do you determine where to invest resources? It's very important to be thinking about prioritization every level in the organization. You know, I'm thinking about that and my engineers are thinking about that. One of the principles that we have in Amplitude in engineering that I really like is that engineers are owning the product experiences. So they are interacting with customers. My engineers are supposed to get on a call once a week with customers so that they see how people are using, they see the challenges. That can help them to think about, okay, you know, what are these problems that I'm solving? Which one is really resonating with customer? So it's very important to have that qualitative data. You know, they're talking with, with a number of engineers. I'm talking with a number of executives to be what is top of mind for, for the customers that we have and what is the area that they need to be focusing. In our data team, we were focusing a lot and we're still doing that. We're focusing on proactive governance and basically helping people manage their data proactively better. But as we talk with a number of customers, especially because of the downturn, we felt like that there's a number of customers that cost is a top of mind for them. They're thinking about what values am I getting from the events I'm sending to Amplitude, which one can I reduce, which one can I uh, increase, and so on and so forth. So this value attribution became is a very top of the mind for our customers. So I saw that when I talked to executive, my team felt like when they were talking to the engineer, but also they also felt, felt like that, you know, understanding the event is this value attribution is very important, not only for cost saving, but also for people to distribute the knowledge. It's a smaller set. It's easier to understand and so on and so forth. So all of this assignment basically helped the team to basically prioritize that work over the other work that they had to help them to think about as they were going, they were going through our 
quarterly planning, they basically increase that priority of that work. So bringing that and having that qualitative uh, discussion gave you that, okay, I'm seeing the trend here. So it's very, very important. At the same time, I think it's also very important to have a quantitative measurement, because if you are just relying on qualitative, it might be one very loud customer that is making you change something. You're, you, you're turning into a consulting rather than a product company because you're just listening to the loudest customer. You don't want to do that. So it's very important to have quantitative data to see how people are using that. You know, the way we develop, we always have a customer development partner that helps us we build with them. But after you do that, let's run it with a bigger group of customers, whether we are doing A-B testing or we're just rolling it out to see whether that is resonates with a large number of customers. So getting all of that help you to prioritize. And then as you put things out there and, you know, again, we call everything a bet. If we develop something, we put it out there because there's an inherent risk in it. Then you decide, okay, based on the adoption, based on the feedback that you're getting, a lot of quantitative data, you decide, okay, which area you want to double down? Which area do you want to go further? It feels like that is a lot of opportunity. Or which areas you decide that maybe it's not, it wasn't as successful. I just should not further invest in that and kill that area. A lot to unpack. I want to go back to the concept of engineers owning the product experience because I think that that's a distinctly unique quality that we don't we don't talk about a whole lot. It doesn't come up in a lot of engineering teams that we're in communication with. And so I was wondering if you tell a little bit more about what that means within your engineering teams. You're sharing some examples about understanding the qualitative discussion and doing some of the research, understanding the quantitative measurement and using that to drive decision making. I was wondering if you talk a little bit more about like some of the behaviors in your teams that embody owning the product experience, just to help people understand what this looks like in practice. We all talk about 10x engineers, engineers who impact 10 times as a mediocre engineer. When I think about a 10x engineer, I don't think about somebody who produced 10 times more code. It's about somebody who is really understanding the problem they're solving, understanding the customer and making the right decision and, and you know, that owning that product experience can move somebody from a normal engineer to a 10x engineer. I think that is so critical. And actually, you know, every every other week we have PDL hands when we recognize some people who are embodying that experience. And one of the things that is important that when you're that close and that connected to the customer, you understand and maybe some of the things that you can do and quickly create good wins. Uh, maybe I don't have to spend a huge amount of effort, but I can tweak this thing a little bit and then I can get a big win. And that becomes a 10x, you know, contribution. You, maybe you, you spend, you know, a week on something and you gain a lot back on that. So, and I, you know, I always go and, you know, I joke with people and I say, if I come and tell you, why did you build this ugly product? And you tell me because PM or designer told me, I said, oh, wrong answer. But if you tell me, I thought it's going to be pretty, but it turned out to be ugly, that's okay. That's, you know, we all make mistakes. As long as we are learning from those mistakes, it's all fine. So I, th I think in that mindset is that owning that, having that ownership. And, and one of the ways that we actually do it to make sure that we are basically embodying as a, as a culture in Amplitude is that we set the same goal for our product and our engineers. It's not that the product manager have a different goal and engineer have a different goal. They're all moving metrics. They're all improving some of these experiences. Mm -hmm. And of course, everybody has a different part in that. But at the end of the day, whether we're we able to basically drive that outcome, were we able to get that, that's how we are going to be measured. It's very interesting, you know, in, in this economic downturn, people might 
you know, it's a scary time for people. But the digital product usage, we actually run a report and it says that, and based on our data, the digital product usage is up 16% year over year. So people are still using products. People are still using digital products. Uh, you know, it's not only about retention. You have to also focus on growth. There's opportunity there. So if you really feel like, you know, that, you know, even though it's a downturn, there's opportunity to invest and there's an opportunity to own it. Go with that founder mentality and go figure out what is the right decision to be making and focus that you can be very successful. Going back to metrics, are, have there been any metrics that have been particularly helpful or more impactful for your decision making between product and engineering? Like ones that have been most helpful or useful or more helpful than or useful? Like which of those shared metrics have you found to be like weighted more impact in a more impactful way so for example a north star that we have is uh, we call it weekly learning users Mm -hmm. it's a number of users who are generating some content using our product a chart a graph and then they are sharing it with the rest of the company and two or more people are actually viewing that content these are the people who are teaching the rest of the company uh, know about how to use analytics So that's a very cornerstone of us because the way we think about it is that, okay, this is an important goal that how many people are actually gaining insights from us? Are are we getting more of these people, you know, going and gaining value out of amplitude? So that is really... Uh, helping us to basically prioritize. This is an important goal. So what is the second level? What is the proxy metric that we can go and improve that metrics? Okay, so maybe weekly collaborative users is the one that you first need to become collaborative. You first need to be sharing. Then later on, you can create content that is going to be used by multiple people. So you go one step down. And that's basically having those goals and going that level of, okay, I need to move that metrics. What are the steps that I can take? That can really help you. That's what we are doing in in amplitude and actually as i said that's a goal that is shared with product and engineering at the same time we also have standard operating metrics or SOs. You know, what are the things that needs to be happening? You know, for example, our SLAs, our uptime of our service, our, you know, on-call situ- situation, or, you know, a lot of companies call them the error budget. Uh, these are the things that I think these things need to be running at always green. And when they're red, there are some issues. There are some metrics that you're trying to improve, and there are some metrics that you need to maintain all the time. So having all of these metrics help you to sell okay, am I investing the right resources? Because if you are hitting, uh, uh, you know, your, some of your standard SOO metrics becoming red, it's a time to maybe invest back on your, you know, your you know, uptime and your um, reliability of your service rather than focusing on the features because you've consumed all of your error budgets and you're running in red territory. So having all of these metrics and, you know, some of them are more product focused, some of them might be more engineering focused and thinking about uptime and reliability of your service. But having a combination of that helps you be a successful thinking about where the prioritization needs to be happening. Super helpful and, and so much clarity around the idea of, of having a North Star metric, layering then proxy metrics that help you move forward to moving towards that North Star and then the standard operating metrics. To me, it seems like so clear. It's like, okay, there's a couple dash. It's, it seems like a simplified version of here, a couple dashboards that you're looking at to make sure that you're going in the direction that you want. Um, and I love this idea of what actually makes a 10x engineer is owning the product experience and discussing sort of the things that get us there. If in like your experience working with a lot of different engineering teams, have you noticed like a trend where there's a gap where engineering leaders like could more often than not take greater ownership of the product experience 
experience, like, are there any obvious or, or non obvious gaps that an engineering leader could look at to increase their ownership over the product experience? You know, one of the reasons I joined AMP is because ownership was so important to me. You know, many, many years ago, I went to my VP and I asked him, you know, Rajiv, I don't know, shall I do A or B? And he told me, if it was your own money and your own company, which which decision you would have made? I said, I will do A. He says, then you know the answer. You don't need to come and ask me, right? And I actually turned it a little bit. I really like that. That's basically the way I offered all the time. I tell people that I'm I'm hiring founders, not employees. I'm hiring people with that mindset. And I always go and ask people, put your founder hat on and tell me what decision we should be making. Shall we do A or shall we do B? And I think having that mindset, then you, you know, if you're a founder of a company, uh, you know, you're not thinking about your personal growth. You're thinking about the success of the company. You know, that, that is the ultimate sense of ownership. And you see the anti-pattern of that, the problematic things, for example, in, in some areas that you see empire builders, people who are just hiring more people because they want to feel more powerful or they want to feel more important. But if it was their own money and their own company, they probably would not do that because they have to pay all of those people. But of course, even if it's your founder, you still hire people because you would want to gain value and insight and growth uh, and, you know, build that team uh, with them. So the most important thing, having a person to, to be thinking about, having people who are thinking about that sense of ownership. And then when you have the right people, then you empower them because now they can make decisions. Now they're in charge. And, you know, being empowered is so important. That's one of the most driving for success that I've hired you. I trust you. And now I know that you're making with the right mentality and the right mindset and culture. So I let you make the decisions. You know, I always think my engineers on the ground know a lot more than me because they're so closer to the problem area. Of course, I have a higher view visibility. I see from 50,000 feet, but they're on the ground. So it's so important that they can, you know, I really believe in bottoms up strategic discussion because they see on the ground, bring it up. And of course, I I go look at it from 50,000 feet and we can merge this top down and bottom up and come up with the best strategy. But that having that sense of ownership and sense of drive is so important. And that basically translates to which feature should I be focusing on, which problem I feel like it's important, which problem is not that important, where should we invest or quality is an issue here, Shadi. Don't push us to add more feature. We always know there's always tech debt. But now, it's, you know, it's very important that we be investing in some of these areas. So that information that is coming from people who really own the product experience and, and have that ownership mindset, it's so valuable. And I really value that with my team. I really appreciate how, because my, my question was like, what should people focus on? And you were like, that's not the right question. It's actually rather cultivating the founder mindset and people will help them discover those gaps for themselves and live into that. To me, that's like, man, that's incredible. Like, I love that question of if you had to take your money, what would you do? Like, if it was your money, where would you invest it as a way to, to drive people? Are there other questions that you introduce to help cultivate this founder or owner mindset? Like, are there, because I'm thinking like, so many people like creating ownership or like a founder mentality is like the desired state that so many people want. And the practice in order to enable that takes a lot of care and cultivation. Are there any other practices that you found that help contribute to creating greater ownership or that founder mentality? I can give an example of something that happened in my previous company, actually, before Amplitude. I remember there was a situation that we were making a call about uh, migrating a system A to system B. 
And at some point of time, there would be some impact to the customers and how they're going to be experiencing that. So I remember, uh, you know, I was talking with one of my engineering leaders there and I said, we are doing this. And I said, are you, are you worried about customers' experience in this migration path? And his answer was that I talked with the product and product is okay. And I said, okay, product is not the only advocate for the customer. You are a big advocate for the customer. And it's not just product needs to be okay. You need to be thinking with your mindset. Do you feel like if you were that customer, would you be happy with this experience of this migration and these glitches that you will be facing? Or, you know, how would you go and alleviate some of that pain? And what do you be do- doing that? And it was, it was a, he was a very senior leader, and I was very surprised in his answer. And I have been always saying that founder mentality and all of that. But it was very easy for him to say, oh, I've already talked. There's somebody who's in charge of customer voice, and that person said it's okay, and I'm off the hook. But then actually he said, yeah, you're right. I, I should not be just relying on, you know, that person who be, who be the voice of customer. I am the voice of customer here. It is very important, and I think we need, we, we sometimes forget it, you know. It's very easy to forget it. So whenever, you know, we are reviewing a process, a design, an architecture, any of those things, always going with that mindset and being the advocate for the customer. What is the outcome that the customer is going to get from this? Or what is the transition path they're going to do if you're doing a migration and how are they going to be dealing with that? And of course, not every time it's rosy and every time it's great, there would be some hard times at this. But making sure that you've thought about it, make sure that you have that customer empathy and you feel like that everybody's job to be the customer advocate. It's not just one person's job that to be the customer advocate. I think that's, that's so important. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. One of the biggest challenges that gets shared with us is that it can be so hard to advocate or share the impact of engineering on the end customer, especially as like you work in maybe a more abstracted area of the product where like it's a couple degrees of separation behind where your impact happens and how that actually impacts the end customer. But what I do know is that the ability to articulate that impact and connect those dots has an extraordinary impact on you know, an engineering leader's ability to advocate for resources or advocate for greater hand count or their projects when they're able to connect those dots. Not only that, that they can get more resources and can articulate. If they can really articulate, it can motivate the people a lot more. Because if I'm an engineer sitting in a closet and developing something and I really don't know how the work that I'm doing is going to help customer or help us eventually increase our revenue and make us more successful, I don't have that. But if I know that, Right now, how my work is going to be contribute to the success of the company or the top line, the metrics that are important, the revenue, the retention, the happiness of the customer. If when I have that, then it motivates me to go beyond what I can do in a in, in normal situation. And I think that is very critical. That's what actually separates a good leader from a mediocre leader. A good leader is basically always thinking about how can I translate, connect that dot and show a person why this work is actually contributing to that success of the company overall. Again, going back to our goal is to win as a company. 
or an engineering organization. I, I love that last sentiment. That's so great. Great leaders focus on how can I translate that individual's work to the overall success of the company. Do you have any advice or insights to help somebody become a better translator between engineering and the business? Like are there, you mentioned a few questions, like if you had to take your money, would you invest in this this thing? Asking like, how will, would a customer like this? Like will, will a customer like appreciate this outcome? Like is this outcome going to serve the customer? Are there other questions or ways to help somebody connect those dots? I think another one is that, are you actual user of this thing yourself? Are you trying it? Are you dog fooding it? Uh, sorry, drinking your own champagne. Uh, so <laughs> a much is... more fun distinction. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> loves drinking champagne. <laughs> yeah. So I think that is so valuable if you can be that. Of course, depending on who you're building, sometimes it might be dis- different. For Amplitude, it's very easy because we're building for product manager and engineers out there. So it's much easier. But if you're actually a customer yourself, that can really help you gain in that value. So I'm asking, have you have you tried using this feature yourself? What are the challenges that you're experiencing? That is so important. One of the other things that is important, it's a little might be tangential, but one of my favorite quotes is, perpetual optimism is a force multiplier. And why is that? Is that it's a do-it attitude. We can do it. Because it's very easy for a lot of people, you know, I'm an engineer and a number of engineers, we can think about so many ways that things cannot be done. But let's let's get to the do it attitude and have the, you know, if you have that optimism that we can make this happen, it's a hard problem, it's challenging, there's usability issue, there's scalability issue, there's so many other things that can go wrong. But let's go with that. Let's identify things, go with that mindset of, you know, optimism. Let's make it happen. The do it attitude is so important. And then when you can accomplish something that seems such a hard thing to accomplish, at the end, then you can actually tell your team members as a leader that look what we have achieved, look past what uh, mountain we have climbed together, that can be so motivated. And then, you know, going back, okay, these are the ways that we, we made the decision. These are... You know, that's why retro is so important. These are the great decisions we have made. And these are the mistakes that we have made. You know, we made that bad call here. We had that bad process here. Those retros are so important to improve that and create that habit of making better decisions and, you know, improving our practices and processes. Absolutely. I, a follow-up question there, because I, I so identify with the idea of like perpetual optimism and its impact uh, as I like to self-define myself as a perpetual optimist. So I'm like, oh yeah, totally. Uh, but you mentioned like, you know, there can be a, a default pattern towards maybe skepticism, pessimism, or uh, maybe aggressive realism. I don't know how you can describe some of the, the obstacles that kind of come in. Um, so when you face some of the, the skepticism or maybe like realism from different folks around product experience or things like that like what do, you, what do you rely on to reframe that conversation to perpetual optimism i know you had mentioned just now like focusing on what we've accomplished so far to like show like you know we are capable of these things that maybe we didn't think we were capable of how do you help reframe away from the skepticism the pessimism or like the constraints or the can't do's to optimism or let's think differently or more creatively Yes, it's, it's a very hard problem. You know, I can also sometimes get into that mode. Oh my God, this is so hard and this is impossible or whatever. But I think one of the most important things about human beings is problem solving, right? The fact that we are solving difficult problem and, you know, 
whether it's a calculus problem or whether it's a usability problem or there's scalability problems. All these are challenging problems. So being in that group, in that mindset, in that brainstorming session to think about what can we solve? Okay, there's so many things that are that are problematic. What is it that we feel like we are able to do? Let's start from there. And then we go and build upon that. Uh, somebody might come with an idea and then, okay, this is what we think we can do. This is doable. Let's take an example. We need to decrease our cost of infrastructure by half, somebody might say. And people will say, oh my God, this is impossible, you know. And then, okay, yeah, okay, so our goal is half, but you think it's impossible or it's not realistic. Okay, what is it that we can do? What is aspect? Okay, we can maybe improve our compression algorithm here, and that can get us so much. And then we, we might have an improvement that we can do on that service, or we can create, we can go another, adopt a you know, another architecture. So starting from what is it that we can do rather than what is it that we cannot do, that really drives people. And I think people have been always amazed by how amazing human beings are and solving problems, you know, as, as you inspire them and give them. And, and then again, it goes back, okay, why are we solving that? What is it going to unblock us? If you reduce the cost, more customers can gain value out of this. We can grow a lot. It's not just our cost going down, but also opportunity for growth increases. When people have that context and understand that and, you know, and go from this, what is it we can do, the do-it attitude and the steps to get that, you can build upon on top of that. One thing that I always say is that when you have great conversation or great brainstorming session is when the brain of the group is bigger than the sum of the brain of the individual. Because one person comes with an idea and then the other person builds upon that idea and sees that another opportunity that can can be built up, you know, on top of that. I love the idea of using, let's start from what can we do when faced with the, oh, that's impossible. We're never going to be able to achieve that as a total way to reframe. That actually happened earlier today. Our team was chatting and, you know, the person was sort of presenting their priorities. And one of the things was going to require like a pretty significant, uh, significant amount of manual tests and manual verification. And we had another team member jump in and say, well, actually, like, here's a way in which I think we can automate this and save you 90% of your time just by arranging like this automated version of what he was going to do. And like totally transformed it. And he kind of turned to the group and was like, like, well, this is why we have team meetings to be able to share ideas like this. Like, this is so important. So I think that practice of what can we do in the context of trusting the knowledge of the group is so powerful. I wanted to change the context a little bit. So we, we've been talking a lot about owning the product experience. And I'm still just obsessed with the idea of reframing a 10x engineer to being somebody who like a 10x engineer is somebody who takes full ownership over the product experience. So what changes in, in like the context of an economic downturn when we're thinking about owning the product experience? Are there are there certain ways that this looks differently given that context or those constraints? You know, economic downturn is a point of, again, you don't have too many resources. You have to be efficient. You have to be able to say no to things. That's how I think about economic downturn. Economic downturn is actually a time of building. But one of the other good things about economic downturn is that a lot of noise disappears too because not everybody can go and get money anymore. You have to have solid things. There's not free money flowing into the world. So this is an opportunity for building. If you are if you're a team 
who have the right mindset, if you have the right problem, of course, if you have enough cash to not run out of money, this is the time to be going. So when you think about economic data, I go back again to be thinking about prioritization. Do I need to build five different products right now? Or do I need to focus on two of my products because I know that they're valuable? The other thing is that shall I look at my users' behaviors, understand the users' behaviors, and then think about where are the areas that I need to double down? Where are the areas that I need to kill? Uh, basically, I should not focus more. And then as you're thinking about your, you know, these are practices that happens every time, but as you're thinking about development, maybe develop in a more iterative way. Let me put something out there, you know, we all call it MVP, the minimum viable product. Let's put it out there. Let's get the feedback and decide whether I want to double down. And so I can do A-B testing or other ways to measure the market. But it's all about, because you have limited resources, you want to operate efficiently. And the way to operate efficiently is to make sure that you get feedback as early as possible from your customers. Uh, You don't overinvest in something that's might not be yielding the results. So go into the iterative process and measure, I think constantly measure, measure the output of that, measure the impact, whether it moves, and then experiment. I think these are the things that can help companies run more efficiently, basically, as we're looking at how we are placing our resources and placing our bets. When you are looking at making the decision to shift your resources or invest in so like when you mentioned the example of if you're investing in five products you may have to like assess and evaluate where you're in attributing your resources when you're making the decision like what what signs or signals are you looking at to shift your investments either to focus on investing in more products or simplifying your investments into more core products are there certain elements that help factor into your decision making there You know, everybody uses the word agile and nimble, but it's so important to be agile and nimble. Being able to pivot, it's so critical, especially in this downturn, because you might have invested in some area that you realize, you know, it's not really panning out. Uh, Actually, you know, we, we did a survey and... 63% of the people that we surveyed recently, they said they don't feel fully equipped to make changes in their product strategy, you know, to basically be successful. That's a lot of people. 63% is a lot. 63% of people were were not confident that they can pivot. And actually, it's interesting because as I said, last year, we did some minor pivoting. It was not a major change, but really focusing which areas, doubling down on the core, as I mentioned. And I was talking with our board member and explaining how we're doing. And he was amazed how fast we were able to that to do that pivot. Because he said a lot of companies, people cannot, people have already, maybe it's a sunken cost fallacy or something they've already invested in. It's very hard. And I always think about it when I was telling my team is that there's a big momentum, right? When, you know, the, the machinery is going in one direction. And when you decide you need to pivot because you have made not the right decision at some point of time. doesn't matter why. At this point, you need to pivot. That machinery has a momentum to going one one way. So to turn that and to create that pivot, it's, it's hard. It's a very hard problem. So when you're thinking about pivot, a couple of things that are important. First of all, you need to really acknowledge it's hard. I know that this is difficult. The other thing that is very important is, is make sure that over-communicate. People need to know why. And, and I think transparency is very important. Don't try to hide it. You know, we put something out there. We looked at our metrics. We did A-B testing. We looked at it and it's not. And I'm sure people have, will be asking, 
are you making decision too quickly? Are you giving it enough time if you're trying to kill something? Make sure that you have already answered all of those questions. Make sure you are in your leadership team, you are the devil's advocate and asking all the hard questions and really figuring out, okay, this is the right decision. And, you know, even if you're not sure, be honest with your team that, okay, based on this data, we are making that decision. It might not be the best decision. But explaining why we are doing that and of course, everybody's thinking about, okay, what is it for me? What, what's going to happen to me if this change is happening? And then thinking about making sure that your leadership, your second level leadership are really thinking about how people area of focus are going to be changed or not changed or what is going to be impact on their career growth and so on and so forth. So thinking about all of these things that are on top of people's mind is, is very important. But again, going back that if we can achieve this, what opportunities is going to open to us? We decided to pivot. We decided that we were early for the market or we were decided that this was not the right investment. Now that we are focusing back on this one, this is why we have the conviction. This is why we think it's valuable to invest in that. And if we can accomplish that, this is what can happen. I think this is so critical in explaining that. And again, it goes back that do you have the team with the right mentality? Because if you have the team that have the founder mindset, when you explain these things and explain why you made that decision, what are the opportunities that you have in front of you, if you can turn around, even though it's a hard thing to do, but people with that founder mindset and that sense of ownership, they will, they will do that. So I think it all goes back that building the right culture, having the right foundation, and then you, you can maneuver things you know, much easier. But it's a hard problem. People think it's not easy at all. Absolutely. I love the idea of for you as the leader, first off, like within the executive committee, answering all the hard questions first and making sure that those are sound before moving forward. And then I think that what will happen to me question and extending that responsibility to the second level leadership that are organizing and arranging those teams and uh, allocating those resources, having them like participate in answering the question of what will happen to me, like, because it sounds like they're going to be the ones responsible for answering that question. So like, it, they might as well be able to take ownership over that part. So I thought I, I really, I haven't heard of that approach in terms of like the messaging for some of these pivots. And then the focus on what opportunities open up, I think is also really great because it's you're providing the context, you're answering the important question that most people have is what's in it for me. And then you're talking about like what's possible in the future and reinvigorating that decision and building credibility around that shift, I think is great. And actually, and that's why I say the downturn is a time to build because mm -hmm. there's so many, you're going through a tough time and there's going to be a big green field after this tough time is over. And then if you have, if you have done it properly, you have an opportunity to accomplish so much after that. It's going to take some time to go through the downturn. It's not going to be a month or two. It's going to be much longer than that. But there is that green field that you can go and capture that this is, you know, that's why I think about again, the perpetual optimism. Think about the opportunities, not, you know, okay, we're going through a tough time right now now. So we talked a lot about the product experience and creating ownership around that. We talked a lot about product building within the context of an economic downturn. Are there any final stories or insights that you wanted to share with folks as we sort of wrap up this part of the conversation? You know, one of my favorite quotes, again, so I'm going with another quote, is luck happens when preparedness meets opportunity. And I always say that I've been lucky in my career. And I always tell my leaders, and I feel that myself, our goal is to make sure our people get lucky, which means that we have to prepare them, which means sometimes challenge them, get them out of their comfort zone, and at the same time, create opportunity for them. As you're going through these hard times and building the right problem, I think as leaders, 
always ask your questions. Am I making my people lucky? Am I doing things to make them lucky? And, you know, constantly think about that because at the end of the day, you know, we're building amazing product, but we're impacting the lives of people, people who are working on, on that. And, and it's, it's not only true for just leaders, even for an IC who's sitting on the ground. Am I making other people lucky? Am I mentoring somebody? Am I passing that information? I think that is so critical to everything else that you're building to be just thinking about that all the time. I think a really powerful way to wrap up that part of the conversation, I was thinking in the context of what we were just talking about in using the opportunity to share with people, what's the opportunity moving forward? That to me sort of captures like the opportunity of being a leader as you move forward and navigate all of these challenges. Here's what you have the ability to do, luck and preparedness and giving that to your team. So thank you for, for sharing that, Shadi. With that, are you ready to jump in to rapid fire questions? <laughs> sure. Awesome. What are you reading or listening to right now? I listen to NPR all the time. I commute for an hour almost each way from Los Altos to San Francisco. And when COVID hit and I stopped going to the office, I, at, at the beginning, I felt like I'm gaining so much time because I'm not commuting. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm, I'm not getting so much information that I used to get just because I was driving and I was listening to NPR. So I actually started in my walk, listen to podcasts of NPR, <laughs> listen to Fresh Air or All Things Considered and so on and so forth, because, you know, that's the source of my knowledge. I gained so much of that. And there's another podcast, All In, that a friend recommended that gives some good insights so listening to a number of that but unfortunately I don't read as much as I should be reading a lot of consumption is about listening and I'm glad to be part of a podcast so hopefully that can help people like me what tool or methodology has had a big impact on you yeah I think the goal setting, uh, it's so important. Whether you call it OKR, whether you call it, you know, at Amplitude we are calling it VMTM, vision, method, tactic, and measurement. Something that you're setting, you're setting goals and then you measure the outcome. That is so important because it's so easy to just do the work and you say, oh, I, I did a lot of work and go into the habit of doing work. But it's so critical to be measuring the outcome and really seeing that am I moving that that needle. That is so, so critical. I'm not really so caught up in the methodology exactly, but as long as there's a goal setting and there's a measurement, that's what is important. Goes back to what you were sharing earlier about like focusing on impact. I love that. You mentioned you're, you're commuting into the office nowadays. Uh, one yeah. of the, the questions we've been asking folks, uh, especially as folks have transitioned to more in-person type experiences with their team. What's been one of the most meaningful in-person experiences with your team, company, or otherwise? Yeah, there's so many different levels of that. Actually, we have Thursday game night now that we're back in the office. And, you know, playing a very simple card game that I didn't even know to begin with Thursday night with my team gives me such a high energy. I get such a such a passion, such excitement from spending time and some of the people that I don't necessarily have a formal one-on-one -on -one with, but I'm just sitting and solving a puzzle together or, or playing a game or beating each other in a, in a poker game, whatever game you're playing. It's such a great feeling of connectedness, a sense of belonging that, you know, uh, that is, is very, very valuable. At the same time, you know, another thing that happened last week, 
that I really like with my team, my direct staff. We had an offsite. We went somewhere physically. Everybody sitting together, going and you know ordering croissant and whatever, just doing activities together. I took them on a hike that had to go up and down a lot of steps, and I actually were joking that we are sweating and you know really sweating together. That's very very important. But I think the other thing that is very important to be thinking about all of our interaction is about creating relationship and let's let's think about that is it really creating that this is a thing that i tell everybody not a lot of people don't agree with me and they all just smile at me because they want to be polite but i think it's important i always say that when you have an outage the production outage it's you go into a war room and you're solving a hard problem together that's the time for building team building actually this is this is people go to escape room to solve a hard problem together and create camaraderie when you're actually solving a real you know production outage this is a team building opportunity we are we are building things together we are solving very very hard problem together just think about all of this interaction as an opportunity Can I crack a joke to better reduce the tensity in, in the in, into the you know war room so that we can actually at least work very good together? So always think about that, and then you're going to gain so much value out of every interaction. I love that the using the outage as as that opportunity. Just a quick experience to relate to that a little bit in a very different context. So my my wife and I just got married in August, and in the wedding planning, uh, we had a lot of family members share that like no matter how much you plan, something will go wrong. In our head, we were imagining, okay, what's gonna what's gonna like what's gonna happen? And the idea was that when it did happen, it'd be like, oh great, cool, like that thing, like the unexpected thing happened, and that's totally great because what they shared was like something will go wrong, and it'll be something that you never expected. You could plan for everything and where you think the problem is going to be or the person you think that's going to cause an issue it's not going to be them it's going to be something you never would have expected from a person you never expected and when something like that did happen the chaos happened it was almost like it was almost like funny and frivolous and it was like okay great like this is the thing that we knew was going to happen for the wedding and so now it, the reaction to it then was less of like stress anxiety but more as an opportunity to like enjoy the experience more so when i think about the outage like the instance like you know outages are going to happen you're going to have an instance an incident how you respond to that is your opportunity to make the team and so I, i think that's such a great way like to make people alert to the opportunity to build in teams and to really leverage those moments so yeah and, and one thing that i'm a nerd and i like watching mystery movies At the end of the movie, when when the mystery is solved, I always go think about things in the movie and say whether I can explain it. Sometimes they mess it up. One thing is, you know, you don't feel like, oh my god, you know, that's that's off or so on and so forth. But when there is an outage or there is a system issue, when you actually find the root cause, it's like really you solve the mystery, right? And now you can go and explain every behavior of the system. That can give you such a high that. Wow. Okay. Now we have solved that mystery. You were basically acting like a detective, collecting clues and looking at things and really solve that thing. You know, that's an opportunity that, in the heat of the moment when things are hard, you can think about when I solve that problem, I can go back and explain all of these things, this behavior of the system. Of course, sometimes you actually don't find the actual root cause, and then I feel like that I I don't get to that high, and it just it feels weird. But when you get it, it it can be really fulfilling. A great reframe. Uh, I had one other question about the. This has been such a fun deep dive into in meaningful in-person experiences. You mentioned Thursday game night. I have to know, like, what game you've really loved from the Thursday game nights with the team. 
there's lots of games that we play and you know I didn't know so actually the, for the first time I think you know I played a number of games for the first time and I won but mainly probably because of the beginners like so we were playing liars poker the other night and I was doing so bad and uh, and I at some point I feel like I'm losing it and I told people oh this is this good this game is good for people who lie I'm not a good liar that's why I'm, I'm losing the, the game but then at some point something turned and I, I won and then everybody was telling me so now you're the big liar <laughs> <laughs> claiming, but just being there, yeah, this was a lot of fun and, you know, just hanging out with the team. That's great. Liar's Poker, I will definitely check that out. The final question, to wrap up our conversation, you've shared so many incredible quotes with us so far. So this last question is, is there a quote or a mantra that you live by or one that's really been resonating with you right now that you want to send us off with? Yeah, I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to be repetitive and I'm going to use one of the ones I said, you know, just remember perpetual optimism is a force multiplier. Don't think about 200,000 ways that things cannot be happening. Think about the, the one way that you can make it happen. I think that's so important and powerful. Wonderful. Shadi, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing some incredible stories and insights. Um, this was a ton of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was amazing. I really enjoyed it. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.